Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we come to you again tonight and we ask that as we approach the truth of your word that you've given it that you've given to us to to look into tonight i pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive what you want us to to hear and how you want us to respond as a result of what we're going to hear tonight i pray that uh, your spirit would be the teacher and that uh, as your spirit teaches us that our hearts truly would be warm and um, moldable as you shape us to look more like your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, songs generate a response. Music produces some kind of response. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, I remember a song was years ago written by a Christian music artist called, his name is Mark Schultz. And he he wrote a song entitled, He's My Son. And I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but it's basically a story of a couple in his church that uh, was dealing with um, their young son who had leukemia. And he wrote a song describing their pain and, and basically the heart cry of this family, of these parents. And I remember hearing this song for the first time. I was driving in my car, and as I'm gathering myself and coming to understand what's happening in this story and in this song, I just start weeping. I mean, pretty much weeping uncontrollably. I had to pull over because the power and the visual that I had of, I've had of this family and their struggle and how raw and honest it was and their hearts cried to the Lord, my response was just tears as I, my heart was trying to wrap itself around this couple that was dealing with this pain and so much so that I had to pull over. And that was my response. I just, I had to, I had to get control. Songs have a way of generating a response. Music has a way of doing that. Another example, I remember in high school, um, back in the 80s, and it was my freshman year of high school, and I was uh, in, in the choir, Mount Vernon High School Choir. And it was our annual Christmas concert. And every year... It was just kind of tradition. We would sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And it was the last song that we would sing. And our choir director would oftentimes invite anyone in the audience that knew the words of the song to come and join us on stage and all this. And, and so it's my first year singing this song and singing it in, in the high school theater. About 300 people were there. And so we start singing them the Hallelujah Chorus. And it's like in the middle of the song. And all of a sudden people start standing standing in, in the crowd. This is a public school, and, and people just start standing in response to 
the truth of this song in response to the music of this song. And I remember standing there going, what is going on? I've never seen anything like that. I'm like, the song's not over. You know, there's no need to stand. What are they doing? And I'd never experienced anything like that. But for some reason, the response, and, and so one person here, another person here, and it ended up being, obviously out of peer pressure, everyone stands at the end, right? And, and so by the end of the song, the whole audience, 300 people are standing in response to this hallelujah chorus. Another example of how songs generate response was at this time about a year ago, I took my boys and three others to an Illuminate Christian Music Festival. And um, it was awesome. It was like on this fairgrounds and all these different Christian music artists were there. And, and it was all day long. So we show up early. And so we were able to get right up to the front of the stage. And there was this Christian band called Fireflight. And they were just, it was awesome. I mean, they were just rocking it out. I don't know if you can say rocking or if that's even a, a relevant word. But to me, it, they were just rocking it out. And there's this one gentleman who was right up on the front of the stage, and he was older than, than me, and we were right next to him, and he was truly responding in a way to the music that I'd never seen anyone physically respond. I could try to imitate what he was doing, and I, it just wouldn't do it justice, but, but it was, I mean, it was one of those things where it was such a unique physical response that everyone around him obviously noticed how unique it was. And I think he was on his own. There was no one else. I didn't see any family or anything like that. But it was kind of, kind of comical, if you will, because he was just like, you know, just doing, doing this the whole time. And then in the middle of the song, he'd like turn back and like look at us, you know, and just kind of do that the whole time. And it was just kind of like, that's an interesting response. You know, the, the music was definitely um, having an effect on this guy and, and, for whatever reason, his response was a unique physical way of demonstrating his joy for Fireflight. I mean, songs have a way of, of doing that to us. Music has a way of generating a response. And as we come to the ancient songs of Scripture, the psalm, the book of psalm, they do the same. They should do the same. They generate some kind of response. And so as we look into Psalm 1 tonight, into this ancient song of Scripture, I want each of us to be asking the question, what's my response to tonight's song? What's my response to this song, Psalm 1? As we unwrap this psalm, from a surface reading, we can see that the songwriter is really contrasting two ways, two different kinds of people. And he contrasts these two different kinds of people, and then he gives us uh, the destinies of these two kinds of people, where they lead to. And then at the very end, he describes the difference, what makes these two roads different, what separates them apart. And he's going to name these two roads, these two ways for us, and he names them in verse 6. So take a look at it with me, Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I mean, unlike U2's song where it describes a place where the streets have no name, this guy names his streets, which we're thankful for. He names his streets, and the first street name that he gives us is righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. So it's street one. The first street's name is, is righteous, or so the righteous road. But then he goes on and he names the second one. He says, but the way of the wicked 
will perish. So the name of the second street is the way of the wicked. So we have two street names, righteous, righteous street, righteous road, or and you have wicked street or wicked road. And so he gives us the names of these two streets. And the whole psalm is basically this, like this big crescendo, if you will, that builds up to the final verse, verse 6. It's a big crescendo of telling us what's the difference, what makes the difference between those on the righteous road and those on the wicked road. And so the first street name is, is the way of the righteous. And it's important for us to understand what does he mean by way? Literally, it means a course of life. It means that the path a person is living on. Kind of an example of this is the first century church. In the first century, the church was not called Christianity. It was called the way. You can read about in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 19. Those outside the church movement, when they looked at the church movement, when they looked at people who had given their lives to Christ, they looked at them and they said, they live a different way than us. They act differently. Their desires are different. Their passions are different. Their pleasures are different. How they interact with each other is different. It affects everything that they are. And so they would look at them and they would say, what are we going to call them? Let's just call them the way because they live a different way of life. Out of response to Jesus who himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here in the first century, you have the very movement of the church really called the way, and it was called the way because they lived a different way of life. And so we need to understand that definition of way when we come into Psalm 1 because I believe that's really what he's describing for us. He's saying that there is a way of life of the righteous. And then he says there's a way of life of the wicked. And each way of life or each way or each road has specific destinations. And so he says the righteous way or the righteous road refers specifically to God's people, those whom God has chosen, those who have received the righteousness of God. But here's a question. How can there be a righteous road when the Bible tells us that there's no one righteous? Romans chapter 3. Keep your finger in in Psalm 1 and go with me to Romans chapter 3. The psalmist is describing here a righteous road, the way of the righteous, But the question is, how can there be a way of the righteous when the Scriptures tell us that there's no one righteous? Romans chapter 3, look at verses 9, 9 through 12. Paul is writing to a group of Christians living in Rome, and he says this, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I mean, the Scriptures tell us that there's no one righteous, that there's no one who seeks God. That's what the scriptures are just tell, are telling us. That's what we just read. So how can the songwriter in Psalm 1 tell us that there's a righteous road when there's no one righteous? Answer, keep reading. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 20 through, tw- 20 through 22. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, meaning there isn't a righteousness available to us of our own merit. No one is righteous. No one does good. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
when we read the law, when we read the Word, we realize how sinful we are in our need for a Savior. Verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So the scriptures tell us that there's no one righteous, no one good enough on their own. And yet the psalm writer tells us that there's a way of the righteous. So where's the righteousness come from that the psalm writer's talking about? It comes from God. Verse 21, verse 22, Romans chapter 3, the writer says, but a righteousness from God. There's a different righteousness. It's not a righteousness that you produce because you can't be righteous. I can't be good enough. If God's the standard, I can never be good enough as God or good enough for God. On my own, he's the standard. So God sends us a new righteousness, provides a new righteousness that's made available through his son, Jesus Christ, and all those who look to Christ and his death on the cross as the payment for their sin, they receive that righteousness from God and you are robed in the righteousness of God forever. And when, and that moment when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and receive his righteousness, you are robed in that righteousness forever and now walk in the way of righteousness. And so the way of righteousness are, is, is the way of those who have given their lives over to Jesus Christ, who have received the righteousness available to them from God. And Paul said, he said, all the law and the prophets testify to this. So when you read the Old Testament, it is ultimately pointing you to a different righteousness that's available, not of your own, but through Jesus Christ himself. The law and the prophets point us to Jesus. So when we read Psalm 1, we need to be pointed to Jesus. We need to look and see where Jesus is in Psalm 1, and he's right here. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. It's God's chosen people, those who have looked to Christ, those who have looked to God's righteousness in Christ, received it, and then they're on. Once they receive it, if you're here tonight, if you receive the righteousness of Christ, you are standing in the way of righteous. That's where you are. It's not your own righteousness. It's his righteousness. That's the first road, and we need to understand that road and who's on that road. And you need to ask yourself the question, am I in that road? Am I in that road? And then he says the second street name he gives us is the, but the way of the wicked. It's the wicked road. It's the opposite of the righteous. It's those who are not the people of God, those who have yet to receive God's grace and God's gift of righteousness. Psalm chapter 1, verse 6. So he, he names for us the two roads, and then he goes on and describes, verses 1 through 5, the destinations of these roads. So if you are here tonight in the righteous road, and that you're living in the way of righteousness because of what Christ has done for you, here's your destinations. Here's your blessing. Then he gives us also the destinations for those who find themselves in the wicked road. The first destination for those who find themselves in the way of the righteous through Christ's righteousness is that you're blessed, verse 1. He says, blessed is the man. You're blessed. I mean, the word truly can be translated, oh, the happiness of the man. I mean, we don't always feel happy. I mean, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you're not always feeling that emotion 
of happiness. This isn't speaking about, in, in a sense, this, this emotional happiness, I believe. It's referring more to the spiritual blessing that you have because of all you have in Christ and all you have because you're a follower of God, because God has given you His righteousness. I mean, it's, this is not a, okay, I'm going to choose Christ because I'm going to be blessed, meaning He's going to like help me win the lotto, and I'm going to have all kinds of all this stuff because that's what it means. It's not what it means. Or you're always going to be healthy. Nothing's going to go wrong with you. That's not true. That's not the kind of blessing He's referring to. These are spiritual blessings. These are blessings that you and I possess as those who have received the righteousness of Christ. You are blessed tonight, not because of life's circumstance, but because of your position in Christ. Keep your finger again in Psalm 1. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. If you are in the way of the righteous because you are robed in the righteousness of Christ tonight, let me read to you some of the blessings that you possess right now because of Jesus. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, he lists some of these blessings. He says in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? With every spiritual blessing. Where does it come from? In Christ. Well, what are some of these blessings? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption, meaning we've been purchased back to have relationship with God through the blood of Christ. You have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Go down to verse 11. In Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You have purpose. I mean, there's so much going on here and we're just, I know I'm just quickly going through it. And he says in verse 13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you're marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You talk about, if you are in the way of the righteous and you are wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness tonight, you are incredibly blessed. You are. You're incredibly blessed, not because of anything that you've done, but because of all that Christ has done for you and for me and all that Christ has given you. So when you put on the robe of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, you are standing there basking in the blessings of Christ because you know that he has chosen you to be his own. You've been forgiven. All your sins have been forgiven because of Christ. And now you have purpose to live for the praise of his glory. You have the very spirit of his presence living inside you, and you're marked with that, and you've been promised an inheritance. And he's going to come again, and you're going to be able to experience all that he has for us in glory. That's the blessing that you and I have because of Christ. That's the, the destination for those who are in the way of the righteous. It's this amazing blessing. And so your blessing is not determined by your circumstances in life. It is based upon your position in Christ and who you are in Christ. And how often do I forget that? 
How often do I look at, base my happiness in life on my circumstances rather than really what I already have in Christ? Right? That's me. I base my emotions on and my happiness on, man, was it a good day at work? Did I get any sales today? Or have the kids obeying me? Or whatever. Not on who I am in Christ. My identity is in Jesus. And all that he's given me, that's where my blessing comes from. And for those who've received the righteousness of Christ and you're living in that way of righteousness because of Christ, you are incredibly blessed. You're blessed. You have a destination of blessing. And you also have a destination of saying no to sin. He says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And so if you are here tonight blessed because of Christ, you carry the robe of Christ's righteousness, you're blessed, you possess all the spiritual blessings of Christ, and you have an ability not of your own, but through the Spirit of Christ in you to walk away from the progression of sin. And that's really what it is. It's a progression, right? You start walking with the sin, find yourself standing in the sin, and where you end up, there you are sitting in the sin. Been there. But as a person who's robed in the righteousness of Christ, possessing the spirit of Jesus Christ inside you, you have a new walking partner. You know what his name is? Spirit. For we walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And if you possess the righteousness of Christ, you got a new walking partner. You kicked the other one out. Jesus did. Sin and Satan, he's gone. You got a new walking partner. It's called the spirit of Jesus and he lives inside you. And now because of the Spirit of Christ inside us, you have and I possess as those who are in the righteousness of Christ an ability to say no to sin and to avoid the progression of sin. And that's one of the destinations of the way of the righteous is you're able to say no to sin. You have a new pleasure. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 16:11. he said, you make known to me the, the path of life. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We have a new pleasure. The pleasure is not sin. The pleasure is the presence of Jesus. So we have a destination of blessing, a destination of saying no to sin. And we have a new delight. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You see, if you find yourself in the way of the righteous, you have a new delight. God changes your desires, and he gives you a desire for his word. And ultimately, that desire for his word will lead you to Jesus Christ. For all the law and prophets testify about Jesus. You have a new desire. You want to get to know this God more and more who saved you and what he's done for you and how he's rescued you. And I find the word meditate there pretty interesting meaning. It, it literally means to speak with yourself or to murmur in a low tone. I mean, if I'm one that I kind of talk to myself, I do that. I just kind of, if I'm at the computer, especially for work, be sitting wherever, I mean, man, do you know, okay, I need to do this. I'm talking out loud. Sometimes people will notice. You don't realize you're doing it until someone else realizes you're doing it. And in a way, it's kind of, I think the, the songwriter is going, listen, if, for those that are in the way of righteousness and you possess the righteousness of God, you are consumed with wanting to know this God and, and you're going to know this God by knowing the word of this God, what he's written for us, what he's written to us. And so you have this new delight and you're going to meditate on it. You're going to talk it out loud. You're going to memorize it. You're going to hide it in your, the word in your heart so that I might not, not sin against the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, You're going to murmur it. You're going to speak it out loud. It's going to be on your heart and in your mind. 
I'm not saying we're perfect in this. I'm not saying 24-7, I'm always, you know, saying the words of Scripture. I'm not. It's not what he's saying. I think it's just this, this matter of you, are, have a, you have a new desire to know this God that has rescued you, that we sang about, to know this Savior that loves you. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And it's interesting because the law of the Lord, a lot of times I grew up believe, thinking, and it is, it's true, the law of the Lord are all these rules and regulations and everything. But ultimately, Jesus himself said to the two guys on the road to Emmaus, right? He leads them. He tells them everything concerning himself. And what, what's the scriptures he uses? The Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he's, so he tells these two guys that don't even know it's Jesus. He's like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, me, and I'm going to use the Old Testament to point you to me. And so the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation, wherever you are studying, should always point us to Jesus Christ. It will either reveal to you how much of a sinner you are and your need for Jesus, or it will remind you of how blessed you are because you've been made a saint because of Jesus. And so we delight ourselves in this law. I mean, delighting in the law will ultimately, delighting in the Word will ultimately lead us to Jesus. And so I ask myself, how's my desire for the Word? How's your desire for the Word? How's your delight to really know this Jesus that's rescued you, that's rescued me? And I'll just say something, too. I'm all for, and this is, I'm going to just say it. I'm all for devotional books. Okay, I'm just speaking. This isn't here in the Scripture. And I, I'm just going to share what I feel and what I think. I'm all for devotional books, and I've used them in the past. But I would caution you that if you're spending more time reading the devotional book than you are the very words of God, I would caution you. For it's the words of God that bring life. Again, don't hear me. I'm not saying, oh man, now I've got to throw my devotional book that I got for Christmas away. Okay? I'm not saying that. Or for my birthday. Great. Burn it. You know, go home. We're having a devotional book burn fest, Mom. Mark said to. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we've got to go to the Word of God. And I think Satan is good because he will get us focusing on something that's still good but not best. Okay? Again, I'm not saying Satan overwhelms devotional books. Okay? But I am just saying that our delight should be in the very words of Christ, in the very Word of God. That's what we should be memorizing. That's what we need to find. Because that's what's going to lead us to this Jesus that saved us. That's how we're going to know Christ. So the destination of the righteous road is blessing, an ability to say no to sin because you've got a new walking partner, the Spirit of Christ. You have a new delight for the Word to get to know this Savior. You're like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Bottling all that up, verse 3, simply, if you're on the righteous road and you've been changed because of Jesus Christ, you're going to be fruitful for God. You're going to bear fruit. Because you're going to abide in the vine, Jesus said. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I have to ask myself, if I'm not producing anything for Jesus, then I need to look at, well, am I into Jesus? Am I into his word? Am I really feeding on Christ and getting to know him and the Savior that loves me? It's not just a tree. It's a planted tree. Where is it planted? By streams of water. It has everything it needs for growth. And if you're here tonight and you find yourself in the righteous road, you have all you need for life and godliness. Peter tells us that. 
You have all you need to live life for Jesus Christ. You have the very promises of Scripture. You possess that. And you possess the very Spirit of Christ in you to give you all that you need to be fruitful for Jesus Christ. So he's planted by streams of water. And then whatever he does prospers and his leaf doesn't wither. I mean, we have the living water, Jesus Christ. He's the vine. And when we're getting to know him through his words, you will be productive for God. Will you be perfect for God? No, but you will be productive for him. That's the righteous road. It's not we do these things to become righteous. We do these things because we already are righteous in Christ. Big difference. And then the second street name that leads to the, and there's its destinations is the wicked road. And the psalm writer tells us, well, what's the destinations of the wicked road? He says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Here in verse 3, you've got this tree that's planted. It's strong. It's into Jesus. It's in the streams, and its leaves don't wither. And then you've got the wicked, and what happens to them? They're just, they're, they're unusable. They're just chaff that the wind blows away. And chaff is really that part of the grain that's separated by winnowing. Charles Spurgeon said this about chaff. He said, it's intrinsically worthless. It's dead, unserviceable, without substance, and easily carried away. You see, unlike the tree, those that are find themselves in the wicked road, they have no foundation. You have nothing to stand on. You just keep trying to earn more and more points with God, trying to get a righteousness on your own. And the reality is that you will never get it on your own because you are unrighteous. You need the righteousness from God. And they're just like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. So the destination of those who are on the wicked road is separation from God. You're separated. You're the chaff. You're, you're removed. You don't experience the presence of God. This is your road. If you find yourself on the wicked road, this is your destination. You're separate from God. You can't stand in the judgment. Why? Because you're guilty. You're guilty. You have not received the righteousness available to you from God, which makes you innocent, which declares you innocent. You haven't received that. And so you stand in the judgment guilty before God. That's a destination for those on the wicked road. Then ultimately, verse 6, he says, but the way of the wicked will perish. Destination of those on the wicked road is banishment. Banishment from God. Not just physical death, but the second death, which is eternal banishment from God outside the presence of God in hell. It's the wicked road. It's the destination. I mean, if you care about where you spend forever, then you will care about the road you're on. Every road has a destination. These roads are no different. These roads have destinations. And so here we have verses 1 through 5 building this big crescendo. And what is it then that separates these two roads? He tells us in verse 6, what's the difference? What makes these roads different? He says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked. And there's a contrast there. The Lord watches over the way of the, rich, of, of the righteous. The difference is this. And the word or the phrase watches over could literally read, no, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The reason that the two roads are separated and that you either are on the wicked road or the righteous road comes down to does God know you? 
Do you know God? Have you received the righteousness of God? If you have not, you are on the wicked road. You don't stand at a fork in the road. You're on that road. But if you've received the righteousness from God through Jesus Christ, you are walking in the way of the righteous through Christ. And the difference is, does God know you? And it's a powerful Hebrew word here that really speaks of intimacy, like a shepherd knows his sheep. And isn't that what Jesus said? I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And if you're in the way of the righteous tonight, you can know, matter of fact, that the shepherd knows you. He knows who you are. And he knows what's going on with your life. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. How does he know the way? Answer, he is the way. He is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know the way of the righteous. Why? Because I'm it. I'm the way. Jesus Christ is the, is the difference maker, and knowing him or not knowing him determines your destination. It determines your destination. So here we have the song. He names the streets, gives us their destinations, and names the difference. So what's your response to tonight's song? What's my response to tonight's song? Let me just share a couple response options for us tonight. If you're in the way of the righteous tonight, here's a response. Rejoice. Celebrate. Celebrate because you stand tonight or you sit tonight robed in the righteousness of Christ because he loved you and he came to you and you've received his righteousness and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You've been forgiven. You've been chosen. You're predestined to, and you have purpose to give him glory. You, you're sealed with the spirit. You have a new walking partner. You have an ability through the spirit of Christ to say no to sin. There's reason to celebrate. It's reason to rejoice. It's reason to say, yes, my happiness is not based upon my circumstance in life, but it's based upon my position in Christ. And that's reason to rejoice tonight. Another response might be to repent. If you find yourself on the wicked road, you can go from the wicked road to the righteous road. And you know what the bridge is? It's the cross. That's the bridge. It's how you go from the wicked road to the righteous road. You just say, not my own righteousness, but through the righteousness of Christ, believing the death of Christ and his resurrection as payment of my sin and promise of new life, I walk through Christ. And when you do, he robes you in righteousness. And so you can go from wicked road to righteous road. I don't care if you've grown up in church all your life. I don't care how much of church you've heard or how much Bible you've heard. I believe that there are people who've grown up in church all their lives that still need Jesus. And it's not a shameful thing to recognize or to say, you know what, I've grown up in all that, but I don't know him. He doesn't know me because I've not received him. And so I want to challenge every one of us tonight. What's your response to tonight's song? Maybe your response is to just simply renew your desire for his word and to know Christ in his word. You know, what's your response? For me in that one song, it was I had to pull over. I had to pull over. And I just had to weep. What's your response to tonight's song? Maybe it's just celebrate, realizing all that you have because of Christ. 
Or maybe it's repentance and then celebration because you're going to move from the road of wickedness to the road of righteousness to Christ. What's your response? God, thank you for this time. And God, I pray that as we think about this ancient song of Scripture, that, Lord, you would, through your Spirit, reveal to us the responses of our own hearts tonight. And God, as a, as, as a man who looks at Christ and sees all that you've given to me in Christ, I stand here rejoicing, thanking you, God, for all that you've given to me in Jesus. And yet I also stand here, God, saying I'm sorry because I give very little gratitude to you because of what you've done for me. And so I pray that tonight as we sing and as we respond, that through your Spirit, there would be those tonight who walked in on the wicked road, but through Christ, by faith, they would receive your righteousness tonight and find the new journey on the new road. And so, God, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your songs of Scripture. And may our response tonight truly be responsive change. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.